Old Fashioned Finance, the podcast that mixes cocktails and high finance. I'm your host, Caleb Frankert, and today I'm joined by my good friend and fellow money muddler, Jason Bernal. Caleb, can a podcast about finance be entertaining? Not without alcohol, my friend. All right, let's mix it up. (laughs) That's fun. We did mix it up. We did. Yeah. (laughs) Did we say that the last time? I don't know if we did or not. Oh, boy. It doesn't matter. All right, we're going to mix it up. How's it going, buddy? Good, good. I'm like ready for spring. Yeah, the sun's shining. That's good. I hey, think it's, it's going to be, be like in the 70s. 70s. Yeah. <laughs> and Jeez. then it's going to get cold again. Yeah, so. it's like they're saying like hey, I'm 70 and then snow on Monday. Yeah. Welcome Ohio. to Ohio. <laughs> yeah. Whoa, that's weird. I hope the sun stays out. Yeah, this that's weekend. nice. Because 70 and sun is just what my heart needs. Yeah, I'm going to lay on my driveway. (laughs) We should never talk about weather on the podcast because it's going to be weeks before this comes out, most likely. Oh, wow. Well, here we are. So we are continuing our series of small business, small batch with Jason Burnell sitting in the co-pilot seat. Jason, good to have you back on the program. Three weeks running. Yeah. And I think this has been a fun series. Hopefully our listeners also have enjoyed it. I would say the ones who are business owners or who are thinking about being a business owner, probably more so than the others. Sure. But there's hijinks and drinks aside. So I'm not sure what's up next, but we'll we'll figure it out. We'll get maybe back towards the normal format. I don't know. Yeah, we'll figure it out. More hijinks and fun to come. And hopefully, well, there will be finance. Hopefully you learn something. And bourbon. <laughs> definitely. Definitely <laughs> bourbon. So, Jason, in continuity with the series that we have so far, Small Business, Small Batch, uh, starting a business, running a business. This is the third installment of the series, selling a business. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it makes sense to get out. It may be. <laughs> I don't know. Are you saying saying something here? I am not. <laughs> okay. Uh, don't need any more surprises. No. Um, so in conjunction with the other episodes, we're going to stick in the, in the same vein like we do with all small business, small batch episodes. We're going to review a small batch bourbon as well as we can review, because we're, we're not uh, whiskey, professional whiskey tasters, connoisseurs. We just like the stuff. So we've got a new small batch on tap today, Jason. What are we looking at? Yeah, Four Roses, small batch select. Not just small batch. Select. Small batch select. Yeah, and it also says non-chill filtered. Yeah, so... That sounds interesting. There, uh, I've noticed that... Um, I've noticed that on various bottles of bourbon. That's a big deal, apparently. So I looked into that a little bit, actually. Good, good. Chill filtered. Uh, thanks for throwing me a curveball. I did, yeah. <laughs> but you were ready. I was ready for that one. <laughs> I mean, it's right uh, on the front of the Never bottle. could hit a curve until now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, chill filtering is something that some you know a lot of the big bourbon houses used to do. It's completely an aesthetic thing. So bourbon is aged in white oak barrels right and there's inclusions and there's you know impurities and things like that mm-hmm. you got to filter your juice before you stick it in the bottle right there'd be floaties in here <laughs> exactly so <laughs> they used to chill filter to to keep some of the impurities or not i don't even want to say impurities but some of the it, it basically would clear up the liquid that's going into the I bottles see. i see but apparently that takes away from the taste which i mean that it makes, makes sense. sense it does yeah because the color is like I mean, when you see a dark bourbon, you're like, oh, yeah. yeah." Well, you look at this one and you go, you know what? And I don't have all the vital statistics, but the small batch select is made up of like six different batches, if I'm not mistaken, Yep. which is some of them are older, some of them are younger. But looking at the color of the the brown water there, some of this has been sitting in barrels for a while. So yeah, the chill filter thing, that's a... uh, 
controversial topic, I think, with some. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. That's about the extent of what I know about it. <laughs> but I see that it's a big enough deal that they put it on labels, non-chill filtered. If you're looking at your local spirits shop, <laughs> look for non-chill filtered. Yeah, I mean, it's, told. it's it's obvious that they want you to know that. It's right yes. there. It's, on, it's, it's, it's on something the they want you to be... <laughs> This is better because it's non-chill filtered. That's enough of that. Yeah. So, (laughs) hey, uh, Four Roses, I have to say, Jason, our bourbon journey over the last year or so has taken us a lot of different places. Yep. We talked a couple of weeks ago about Elijah Craig and how that's an old standby. Yep. Four Roses is another one. I probably, early on, before I really got into this stuff, I would rotate Elijah Craig, maybe Bullet, Mm -hmm. and Four Roses. I have never had anything from Four Roses that I did not like. Yeah, I mean, this is one that you're going to walk in there. You're going to see it. You're going to have several choices from Four Roses. Yep. All um, good, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. We're kind of getting ahead of ourselves. We're supposed to drink this stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm like yeah, yeah. salivating. Uh, let's let's take a swig of this, Jason. Hmm. That was a big pour. <laughs> <laughs> I drank it all. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Whoopsie. <laughs> I, tend, I tend to do that. Um, so, ooh. ooh, gosh, that's... There's a lot going on there. The, and now this one is a, uh, this one's a little hotter. Yeah. It's 52% alcohol. I can feel it up in my ears. Yeah, you know what? Good. Your bottle is 52% alcohol. I might be crazy. I have a bottle at home and I thought that mine was a little, just a little bit hotter. I thought it was about 107 proof. Yeah. About 104, man. You're not messing around. No. I mean. And you know what? I think that uh, we've, we've had different bourbons on the show before. We've had different bourbons at our bourbon nights. You know me if it's forty uh, percent or so. I'm 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 just it. It's not enough for me. Who put a handful of ice in my bourbon? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it feels watered down, which it is. I mean, that's how they proof it down. Exactly. Uh, but I I kind of feel like it's got to be ninety for me to like it. Most like your Buffalo Trace and stuff like that are bottled bottled there. There, in my opinion, though. I really like Bottled and Bond. You know, I'm a big fan of Evan Williams' Bottled right. and Bond. Man, I'm going down a rabbit hole here today. I, I like 100 Proof. There is a sweet spot, and there are a lot of, especially Wild Turkey fans out there. Right. Uh, and I would think Weller fans, too, that think 107 Proof is the sweet spot it's when like it comes the, to bourbon. It's the new 90. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And this is real close. It, I mean, this it hits that. It's... It's got a little bit of heat to it, yep. but it's not overpowering. It's not like a barrel proof or something like that. Yeah. I mean, um, I think you're right. Like compared to the makers that we had, you know, last time, this is just got that heat. Like when it first gets on your tongue, you can feel it right away. Finishes really, really similar. Sticks like, around a little longer. Yeah. I mean, I think that's that heat though. You know yeah. what? The Michters had a surprisingly long finish for yeah. the uh, 45% or whatever. I would it was. say that I would say the Michters actually has a longer finish than hmm. this does. I really do. And probably a little bit more in terms of the flavor profile. And I think that's I think that's all because of proof. You so know? you think that there's more you, you got more flavor out of the Michters than did. you did the small batch select. Interesting, because I got a lot going on here with this one, Jason. We I did this just on set the, myself up again. <laughs> <laughs> we we did this on the last episode. Let's let's see uh you know, I, I have what I'm supposed to be smelling and tasting here, but I'm not gonna look at that yet. What are you tasting, Jason? What what's your refined palate telling you? There's a lot of smoke in the taste originally, right when it gets in your mouth. Mm-hmm. There's heat. So I'm going to say more on the woody side, mm. maybe even like a little bit of mossy kind of taste, almost like a scotch. Like a little peatiness? A little peaty, hmm. but 
it's bourbon. There's a little bit of sweet. I mean, it's it's, it's bourbon on, is sweet. Yeah. 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 So there's some sweetness in there. So you're you're gonna have that that caramel f- taste is definitely there. And I'm gonna stop talking so I don't talk myself <laughs> right into a quarter. <laughs> Jason, I definitely get oakiness. I'm getting you get. I think you get the typical caramel. I, man, some people would say that this is a cop out. I get a little bit of leathery note, and I wonder if that's like the peaty that you're getting. I yeah. get like a little bit of leather. Not that I go around chewing on leather. It's just what it reminds <laughs> me of. There's really no wrong or right to this. I don't get a lot of fruitiness in there, but there's there's something else going on in there I can't put my finger on. So Way less fruity than the mit- Mitkers. Okay. I mean, way less. I remember stone fruit being yeah. what threw us off on the Mictors. Right. I didn't totally get that, but I think you're right. This, to me, it tastes less fruity. Now, we're about to show everybody exactly what we know or <laughs> don't know about bourbon and how unrefined our palates are. I'm looking at uh, what Four Roses website says we should be smelling and tasting here. So what do I smell? Bourbon, folks. <laughs> <laughs> but they say raspberries, clove, and nutmeg. Okay, I could get I could get behind clove. That. Yeah. You know, maybe the clove is the what I and that, that could be that peaty it's, taste. Yeah, yeah, it's that just something different. You're yeah. saying peat, I'm saying leather. I hear clove and I go, yeah, maybe it's clove. Right. Palate, apricot, berries, vanilla. And light oak. Oh. I feel this is oakier than some of the other stuff that we had. I'm not getting apricot. I'm not really getting berries. I think vanilla and caramel. Yeah. And then the finish. We're supposed to be tasting lingering spearmint. Nah. Not feeling that. (laughs) And a light touch of cinnamon. Okay. I can see that. That's where that heat is. Yeah, Yeah. that kind of makes sense. So I'm not tasting everything they're saying we should be tasting here, Jason. That means you're wrong. Apparently, I'm wrong. <laughs> However, I am loving this bourbon. Right. This has, I, I bought a bottle of this a few weeks ago, and it's been one that I reach for quite a bit. And you all know me at home, my favorite drink is whiskey neat. Yeah. I've had quite a few of these neat. <laughs> and uh, I, I like it. I think I like it more every time that I, I'm, and I'm going to just, this is the last thing I say, I'm going to say before we move on because we're spending too much time on the drink. I got a bottle of Van Winkle. 12-year, oh, the family reserve, right? I won yeah. it in the lottery. I talked about it once before. I'm not bragging, okay? Yeah. Okay. If you want something, in my opinion, I could be totally off base. You can't go get your hands on a 12-year pappy, or I call it crappy pappy because it's actually Van Winkle Lot B. It's still phenomenal. It's really good stuff. This, out of any of the other bourbons I've tried, reminds me of that Van Winkle Reserve. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with you on that. It's got that same kind of heat. Mm-hmm. Um, the mouthfeel. Yeah, mouthfeel's the same. It's, um, it sticks around. It's yep. uh, yeah. velvety. Mm-hmm. Um, it's good stuff. This is on the shelf every day of the week. It's a little pricier. <laughs> it's 60 bucks, but Doesn't I'm Doesn't mean you're drinking you, it every day, I hope. <laughs> I'm just... People go crazy looking for hard-to-find stuff, yep. and I'm telling you, yep. this one has been ignored. The Four Roses Small Batch Select... You know, I can't remember off the top of my head what regular small batch tastes like. I'm pretty sure I liked it. But folks, this one, this is a really good special occasion if you're buying something for somebody and you can't get your hands on hard to find stuff. Four Roses, small batch select. It's great. Let's uh, let's try it in an old fashioned, buddy. Oh, that's not what I expected. But Hmm. yeah, that's good. It is good. It's a little sweeter than I thought it would be. Maybe all the berry flavors just came out. I, <laughs> yeah, there it is. I that's well, that's weird. I mean, I expect it to be hotter than that. Yeah, well, mixed in with a sugar cube, and we, we used our classic recipe. We put in a sugar cube, wet that down with some bitters, a little bit of water, muddle that up, 
put your two ounces of bourbon in. I think you use what two ba- two dashes of bitters on yep, that one. Yep. We use Watkins again. Uh, garnish with an orange and a Luxardo cherry. So same recipe we've used here over the last few weeks. I'm tasting a lot more of the fruit. Now, here's the deal. That's interesting. I used to think that it was wrong to add a little bit of water to your bourbon, but especially to the higher proof stuff, you add a drop or two, it takes the ethanol punch away yep. and it really opens up the flavor. I wonder if that's what we're getting here because I can see raspberries. I think Interesting. We, we both thought right out of the gate, like it's sweet. It's sweeter than yeah. I expected it to be for 104 proof. Verdict is it shines in an old fashioned. It does. Yeah, that's actually really good. <laughs> you know, and like, again, like last week we did the Mitkers. That wasn't as good in Mictors. an old fashioned. <laughs> 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 Not as good in old fashioned as this is. This is really good. It's really? All around. Have this on the shelf. Folks. Yeah. yeah. This, this could be your go to nice bottle, and you're not missing out on much, guys. No, no. Awesome. <laughs> So let's talk about the uh, the third installment here, Jason. You've started a business. You've run a business. Now you're getting to the point in your career where you're wondering, is it time for me to sell my business? I am not at that point. <laughs> I Just so you know, like you're, you said it like I am. <laughs> All right. So what are some reasons that this would come up, Jason? Why would someone consider uh, other than the obvious? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's obvious reasons. I mean, you have like retirement and, and some of it, uh, retirement is super common. That gives you a little bit more of a runway to make a decision. Sometimes, quite frankly, it's just they've lost their passion. Mm-hmm. They don't feel like they're you know serving their original purpose anymore. Uh, maybe they've started another business and want to do something totally different. That's another reason. And I have this strange little niche going on where I'm helping folks kind of work through these. You've been doing a lot of this lately, actually. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I would say I've bought three active right now and where somebody's either buying or selling. And it can be a stressful process. But at the same time, I think if you back yourself away for just a minute and say, what's the reason? Maybe it's, I don't want the responsibility anymore. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to take a vacation. I'm a bad manager, so I can't <laughs> take time off. You know, things like that. It, it comes up all the time. So, you know, reasons are are various. You know, let's not discount the ones that do come up and have in my experiences like health. Yeah. Someone has a heart attack or, you know, wife or husband's sick, child sick. Sometimes it's best for them to just stay focused on their family and walk away. One of the things I think about a little bit is reasons for starting a small business uh, for a lot of folks is flexibility the chance to run a business that really serves other goals or serves another purpose in their life. And sometimes growth gets out of hand and now the business isn't serving you anymore. You're serving the business and you're back to feeling like you're working for somebody else or you're, you're doing it for reasons that you didn't necessarily start out with. Right. The small business world is a nice place to be. Sometimes I think, you know, some of the clients that we've worked with growth is good Profit's good, but sometimes it gets to the point where you can't operate in a as a small business anymore, and that takes a lot of the charm away too, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And you know, you see a lot of small business owners will kind of like almost glaze over. You look at them, you talk to them about their success and you know their financial goals, which is our job, right? And you realize that they're not actually reaching for anything necessarily anymore. And I know that sounds like, oh, well, look at me, I'm so successful. But I think what they're doing is a complicated assessment of just like taking on the responsibility to the financial results that they're getting Mm -hmm. and whether it's important or not. Yeah. Some people just don't want it. Well, when when you go from running the business to the business running you, maybe it is time to get out. 
Right. Let's talk about how that works, Jason. What are things to consider? Let, let's say you've gotten to that point where you know, I, I don't want to be involved in the day-to-day operation of this business anymore. The first thing you probably think of is sell the business. First of all, is that always the right thing to do? Sell the business? Uh, not always. I think, I think you have to, um, you know, you have to step back and get some counsel like right there. Um, people like us, obviously that's why I've been involved in some of this will help kind of work through some of the issues. You know, maybe you just need more help, you know, and are you at a point in your career where it makes sense financially? Are you going to do nothing? Uh, you got to do a little bit more work than just like I'm out. Yep, maybe, and I know in some of these cases, maybe the uh, the answer is to step back and trust the people that you've put into place to run the business, and you you remain as the owner, but you're not running the small business anymore. Right, right. and I think we've all met those small business owners who just can't do that. Mm-hmm. And if you are at the point of like deer in the headlights, burnt out, can never leave, yeah, it might be best. Even if you're not at the point where you can like stop working. Because if you can't walk away from the responsibility, that that's not good. That's not you own a job, and it's yeah. not just a job. You're a slave to the small business, then. Yeah, which defeats the purpose of going into business for yourself again, right? Exactly. Yeah. And there'll be. T- I mean, every small business has seasons where they have to work extra hard and you know put more hours in. But the idea is so you can have that flexibility at some point in the future. I think that's one of the things, and especially we see it in our business as financial advisors. A lot of times you see these, I, I guess I call them like legacy advisors, but these guys that have been around for a long time. And you know, a lot of people say, wow, they're in the retirement business and they are 70 some years old. They, Why aren't they retiring? And Jason and I have said it on the podcast before. Sometimes this business can be a cheat code. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? exactly. Uh, yeah. And you go, well, why would you step away from the business if it's profitable, if you're able to take a lot of vacation time and you're able to disconnect and, and be a part-time, I, I say part-time owner, really? Um, sometimes the answer is quite simply just hand the reins over. And I think that that kind of leads into the next topic a little bit. Why succession planning is so important, Jason. And I know you work with a lot of folks on succession planning. Yeah. I mean, deciding where what's going to happen to your business when you're not there anymore. And that doesn't mean like you're just going to plain old die. I mean, let's face it, this Mm -hmm. doesn't have to be a morbid conversation and shouldn't be. Every small business owner should have some kind of succession plan. Yeah. Yeah. We hear succession and I think we think what happens when I die. Well, not necessarily. No. I mean, let's... what. Let's take it from a more uh, calculated approach and say, what happens when I'm five years out from stopping doing this uh-huh. work? What happens when I'm three years out, two years out? And it kind of steps into the process better. How do you get to the point where you trust handing the reins over to somebody? And I mean, I realize there's always a component of like, I might not ever trust them entirely, mm-hmm. but you made a conscious decision five years before that you were going to do it. And so you better do it. And I mean, Granted, it's you know you and God that have to talk about that. But at the end of the day, you chose that path, and it's on you to make sure that that's the right person. And succession planning may not be just as simple as like bringing in somebody to you know buy the business. Someone that works for you could be a, a candidate. Family, a lot of times, yeah. um, comes in. Uh, but it just might be like. I'm going to sell my chiropractic practice to someone else mm-hmm. and they're going to merge us together. Great. Lots of different methods. And you have to decide, is the purpose that I, the reason I started this business and all the way back to when, 
is it still going to be served if I do X, Y, Z? Is that still important to you? And I think that's where a lot of folks sometimes get disconnected. And a lot of times that's done out of desperation. They they didn't do succession planning. So then they have to sell to somebody. And then the purpose is totally thrown in the garbage. Yeah, it becomes somebody else's purpose, which might not line up. Right. And so I think the more you, you step back and say, you know, I had these specific reasons mm-hmm. for starting this business, you know, serving clients or, you know, providing uh, a particular service or product, you better be certain if that is still important to you. Like if you retire, stop working, go do something different and you watch your, your work just shut down because they were happy to take all the profits for two or three years yeah. and leave. That's hard to watch. There's a huge emotional impact to that. So you got to decide yeah. if that's important or not. What's what's frustrating about that too is in a lot of cases your name's still on the business, right? Mm. Or or the community still views that as your business. Sure. I realize too and in some cases Jason that for a lot of entrepreneurs, for a lot of these small business owners, at least and I'm sure it's the same for you, but I've talked to a lot of these folks over the years when we talk about retirement planning, they say, my business is my retirement plan. Right. My business is re- re- my retirement plan, whether that is, you know, selling your business and in installments over the years or just flat out cashing out. The idea is cashing out of control of your business at some point. Right. But if you're in a situation where you're able to generate income in other ways or you don't have to just completely exit the business, you know, again, going back to thinking before about maybe just pulling back from day to day operations, sure, keeping the business and continuing to reap the benefits of what you've you've worked for your entire career. Right. I guess what are you seeing with with the clients that you're working with that have, you know, you've helped them evaluate the business, you've helped them come to that conclusion that it's time to move on in one way, shape or form. What are you seeing typically, especially lately? How are they exiting? Yeah, the exits are are happening in various ways. Some might slow down and transition ownership to another party and you know, that might take a period of two or three years. Okay. I've seen abrupt ones too, though. For example, employee purchases the business, mm-hmm. takes over ownership, and they continue to work together. It's to, a new ship. I'm the captain. Now you're out. That's right. <laughs> yep. Yep. And and some of that is, you know, it's not adversarial or anything. It's friendly. But the the new business owner wants to have some, you know, consulting capacity from the old owner. Mm-hmm. I see that. I see partners just buying out other partners. That happens a lot. It's always a complex list of constituents, <laughs> you know, like, oh, my son or my daughter or my longtime business colleague. I have a friend who was involved in XYZ business. This is a complimentary business. Those kinds of things, I think, are what generally like factor into who mm-hmm. and how it's done. If I were to go out and buy another financial planning business, it would just be natural for me to take that firm under my wing and do it the way that we do it. Mm-hmm. And I think that the person selling would know that, you know, like he's obviously done this. He's probably going to do it his way unless there's something super unique about what they're doing. You just, you typically just continue to operate the way that you operate today and you bring them under your wing. So, so let's say that you are that small business owner and this, you know, the business has been, a main driver in your life. You love the business, but you can't do it anymore. You realize it's time to get out, but you don't want to just hang a for sale sign and get out. When we're talking about succession planning, I I kind of look, well, we've talked about our time and other jobs and things like that before, before here. 
And uh, I, I always told folks that I coached, the best way to get promoted is to train your replacement. That's you know, right. I look at it kind of the same way. If you know you can't run a business infinitely from now until forever, at some point, you're either going to sell, close, or transition leadership. I know in my career, it's always been much easier whenever I was up for a promotion to be able to say, I know I can do this next job and you don't need to worry about who's going to fill my shoes because guess what? I've already trained them up. They can step right in. I think the same thing goes with ownership. Wouldn't you agree? It does. And I think it's uh, it's like a way for you to do that mental checklist of like, hey, I'm taking care of all these areas that I want that are important to me still as a business owner because I every small business owner has a little twinge of like, I want to make sure this place doesn't fail. Yeah. Um, at least they, sh- they should. I would, I would think so. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, you know, it's nice to watch it unfold. And, you know, part of that comes with like big doses of grace because you know that they're not going to do it exactly the same when you have a person there that is just starting to duplicate the efforts you put into the business. I think that's probably the safest and the best way to watch a small business thrive beyond mm-hmm. your career. And and you mentioned something really important in there about, you know, the valuation. And I know we were kind of heading in that direction, but there's always arguments there, it seems like, and it doesn't have to be that way. How, how to value the business or value your percentage? Well, like let's talk in the case of a partnership or something like that. Is that, is that what you mean? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, even if you were a sole owner or, you know, husband, wife owner, you know, valuing what it's worth, it's, it's, it seems like the fluffiest finance in the world, you know, like (laughs) there's a lot of wiggle room, lots of wiggle room. (laughs) You know, you're trying to project what things are going to look like. There's about five to six different methods of doing it. Mm -hmm. I prefer the technical back of the napkin method. Very technical. (laughs) (laughs) It seems to be the best. And I would say in most cases we end up landing like within 5% of that back to back of the napkin method. Uh People like me will help folks kind of figure that out. CPAs are phenomenal at this, you know. After all, the, instead of doing income taxes for folks, that's really what they kind of do. Yeah, right? I mean, like they <laughs> they will give you more data about selling a business than you would ever want to see. Mm-hmm. It might be worth it if you have no idea. Yeah, and I think that's common. People just are like, I don't know what this is worth. If you have recurring revenue and profit at the end of the year, your business has value, right? Okay, like you need to tell yourself that. And realize, it, give yourself a little bit of credit. Like it's hard to start a business, right? And if people come back year after year, good. Like give yourself a pat on the back. Yeah, don't discount the work that you put into it at the beginning when right. you weren't getting paid and the profits weren't there. That doesn't mean it wasn't <laughs> worth anything, right? And it's yeah. still worth something. It's worth a lot, probably a lot more than I would say. It's more common for folks to come in and think valuation is lower than what it actually is. Uh, yeah. So either either that or the avoiding the other. Uh, pitfall, which would be being offended by valuations and business owners having an idea that their business is worth way more than what it really is because all their life's work is involved in it. Yeah. I mean, reality is reality. If you don't think an offer or a price is right, go get a valuation done. Yeah. It's going to cost you probably four to 5,000 bucks. It'll be official. You'll know exactly where it is. Okay. Now exactly is a loose term because this is fluffy finance, but you'll have an idea. If you hear someone come in and want to buy your business and they're talking about book value and 
Like if they did that here at Blue Jay where we're a service company mm-hmm. and quite frankly, a lot of our knowledge is just stuck in our brains. Yeah. You know, they'd be like buying this microphone and, yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah. that's not the value of this company by any stretch of the imagination. Our value can be very uh, abstract in this business. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you know, moral of the story is, you know, seeking good counsel there, understanding how other businesses have sold. It's it's really for the best. So yeah. take your time on that one. So you, so you, you know, don't, don't go to bed with your, you know, feeling like you're going to sell it for $2 and just walk or close up and just walk away. Now, yeah. sometimes that's an option, but sure. we don't like that, that option very often. Well, Jason, like the other episodes in this series, this is not to, not meant to be a technical handbook on how to start, run and sell a business, more of a cliff notes version. We got a little bit feely even in some of these episodes, we did. but I think even, you know, just watching the progression of, of this series, I go back to the things that we did in the first episode or we talked about in the first episode. When you get to selling the business, it's it highlights how important the things that you did when you were counting the cost at the beginning. Right. And you were establishing the business and you were creating the culture and finding and developing and nurturing talent and retaining talent, right? And training your replacement. So it really is, I mean, it's, you know, start to finish. You gotta, you gotta do things the right way. <laughs> yeah. But you know, again, like small business ownership can be incredibly rewarding. Yeah. I've seen people impact other people's lives in ways that you would never expect at the end of the day, after all the struggles and the punches in the guts and my lips are bloody and like, you feel like, man, is this worth it? It's worth it. It is. So Jason Burnell says it's worth it. I'm here to say, folks, it's not for everybody. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> and we have seen, with we, <laughs> we have seen this crush people before sure, too. Yeah. So it's really important to make sure that this is for you before you dive in and, and go through all of this, because at the end of the day, I think some people get to the end of this and go, I'm, you know, I might as well have just worked for somebody else. Yeah. I mean, do you have the fort- <laughs> do you have the fortitude to get through yeah. this? Like, cause that is what it is. But if you're wired for this, like you said, it is a rewarding experience. And, you know, I just kind of talked about some of the takeaways that we had. Mentorship is one thing that's really, really important. I know we're going over a little bit on this one, but kind of tying it up and putting a bow on it. Um, how important is it to have a mentor throughout this or two or three or five or 10 or 20 mentors throughout Gosh. the course of owning a business, right? Yeah, for sure. Cool. All right, Jason, I had a lot of fun in this series. Yeah, I hope you did too. And uh, for our listeners out there, you got a triple dose of Jason Burnell here that you hadn't had for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) So hopefully you had fun. Thanks for having a drink with us this week, folks. It's time to close out the tab. If you have a question or a topic you want to address on the Old Fashioned Finance podcast, be sure to email us at speakeasy at oldfashionedfinance.com. We'd love to hear from you. Don't forget to share the show with someone you love or just someone who needs a little money muddling themselves. You can stay up to date with all of the latest action by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Old Fashioned Finance is brought to you by Blue Jay Financial Group. That's bluejfg.com. Hey, that's us. (laughs) And produced by (laughs) Pottery Studios. We've been your hosts, Jason and Caleb. Cheers, buddy. Woo! Blue Jay Financial Group, LLC, Blue Jay, is a registered investment advisor registered with the state of Ohio. Registration does not imply a certain level of skill or training. The presence of this advertisement on this podcast shall not be directly or indirectly interpreted as a solicitation of investment advisory services to persons of another jurisdiction unless otherwise permitted by statute. 
Follow-up or individualized responses to consumers in a particular state by Blue Jay in the rendering of personalized investment advice for compensation shall not be made without first complying with jurisdiction requirements or pursuant to an applicable state exemption. All verbal and written content on this presentation is for information purposes only. Opinions expressed herein are solely those of Blue Jay, unless otherwise specifically cited. Material presented is believed to be from reliable sources and no representations are made by our firm as to other parties' informational accuracy or completeness. All information or ideas provided should be discussed in detail with an advisor, accountant, or legal counsel prior to implementation.